Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. This is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman, and today we are joined by the former pitching coach at Loris College and Wallert Catholic High School, 2013 Division Three Baseball.com All-Region Team, and a standout from Dubuque Senior High School, Jeremy Girardi. Jeremy, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Thanks, thanks, Coach Manaman. It's a thrill to uh, you know be on the podcast and get an opportunity to chat some baseball with you. I'm super excited to have you on, and I know there's a lot of people who are excited because there's been a lot of Dubuque Brewers that have recently made the trip onto the podcast with uh, Ryan Doty and Isaac Evans. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and check them out. But that brings me to your upbringing. I want to talk about that. So you did play for the Dubuque Brewers going up. Did you ever play on any travel teams or did you ever play for any other teams in the independent league? Um, No, I played for the Brewers pretty much exclusively growing up. Uh, We did put together a travel team for one weekend a year uh, where we'd go out and, um, you know, take the best guys from the independent league and we'd go out and play in Cedar Rapids. But that was really the extent of, of our travel growing up. It's crazy looking at things now because I played in Asbury and we had a travel team and the big tournament was lacrosse. And that was where everybody would go and everybody would play. I don't even know if the lacrosse tournament is around anymore. But after playing for the Dubuque Brewers in the Independent League, which from what I've heard is is a great organization, I know they've produced a lot of talented preps throughout the year, you went on to star at senior. Give us a time frame. What years were you at senior? And who were some of your coaches and teammates while you were at senior? Oh, geez. Um, So I graduated in 2009. So I would have been 2006 to 2009. Um, Coach Cardi, Tim Cardi was my freshman coach uh, back in the day. Um, And then sophomore through uh, senior year, I was up on varsity with uh, Coach Felderman and, um, you know, the assistant coaches that, that were there. I talked to Jesse Freiberger today. He said oh, that he, Jay Fry. Had, yeah, yep. he, I think he was your assistant coach, right? While at senior, yep. Yep. yeah, he, he, yep, he was, he shared with me, he said, he's really looking forward to this one because you, you are a good baseball mind. I haven't heard Tim Cardi's name in a while, but he <laughs> did open up a restaurant 
in North Liberty. I believe it's called Table. So listeners, if you're in the North Liberty area, go check out Table. And no, they are not a sponsor of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. That is the Chief Bat Company and Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa. Check them out as well. Who were some of your teammates while you were at Senior? When I coached at Senior and I coached against you, you're really the only name that pops out to me. But I'm sure there were some other good ball players on your teams as well. Yeah, you know, um, the, in the grades above me, you know, there was there was a couple different guys that were um, that were pretty good players. You know, Jake Rannells is one of them that comes to mind uh, right off the top of my head. He was uh, he was a solid baseball player. Um, you know, you had some different guys, um, Cody Hillary, um, some different folks like that. Tyler Lang, um, you know, guys that were were maybe a little bit more football or other sports oriented first, um, but they were were contributors to the team. And then um, as far as my grade goes, there wasn't a whole lot of, of other guys in my grade necessarily. Uh, but then if you go the grade below me, you have the, the Bobby Beans, the Tyler Soiglings, uh, Andrew Powers, Andy Zelinskis of the world um, that, um, you know, we're all major contributors to, to the success we were able to have. Those are a lot of names, especially the Rannells kids. It seems like they were pumping Rannells through there and all great athletes, all good baseball players. You know, that's the one thing that that I noticed about seniors. They always had young talent up on varsity. And then you would think that they would be good once all those guys were seniors, but it just seems like kids didn't stick with the program or they wouldn't go out their senior year or they would get pulled away uh, to another sport. But how many years did you play varsity at senior? Because you were a very talented player. Yeah, so I um, I moved up my sophomore year, and I played three years of varsity baseball. Now, when you were playing three years of varsity baseball, did your teams have any success, such as any conference or division championships, any trips to state, uh, any city championships, um, anything that you can remember that stood out? Um, no, I mean, we pretty much stunk out loud most of my three years, uh, that I was there. Um, you know, actually my senior year, we were, we were just over 500. We were, we were a decent team. Um, you know, I think that there was a little bit more talent than what we accomplished. Um, but you know, when, when you look at what Hempstead had down the road in terms of Doty and Redmond and all those guys, um, it was, uh, there was a pretty big talent gap. It was difficult to make it to state during those years because it seemed like Hempstead and Senior would always get placed in the same bracket. And I know, and I know 2014, when I was coaching at Hempstead, we were ranked number one in the state and Senior was ranked number 10 in the state. And unfortunately, they put us in the same bracket. Both teams had the talent to make it to state and I think win a state championship, but only one was going to make it. Now, Jeremy, I, I would feel sorry for you sometimes when you were pitching because you had great stuff, but you were also your team's best shortstop. So sometimes you'd be out there throwing, you'd be out there pitching, and sometimes the defense or the run support as a pitcher wasn't there like you had hoped. But did you collect any individual awards while you were playing at senior? Um. I'm sure I had all conference or district or something like that. I, I can't tell you off the top of my head if I had, you know, first team or second team or whatever it was at this point, that was, uh, I, I don't know what I had for lunch anymore today. Um, but, um, you know, no, actually I think that experience in and of itself where, you know, it was me 
pitching and, you know, maybe we were a little weaker defensively when I wasn't in the field. Um, it really helped me evolve as a pitcher because, you know, you start to learn how, how do I need to attack and pitch guys in ways that, um, you know, I can get soft contact and get easier plays for my guys in the field. And so I think um, while it was incredibly frustrating while I was going through it, um, you know, looking back, it was something that, you know, subconsciously really helped me develop and, um, you know, create a skill set that ultimately allowed me to be successful at the next level. You were one of those guys when you played for senior is when you reach tournament time, every team, it seems like, has a pitcher that could beat anybody at any time. And and when you played for senior those three years, you were that guy on the mound where teams would not want to see you first round because you had the stuff, you had the ability to upset a number one seed and and make a solid run with you on the mound. After you were finished at senior, you took your talents to Loris College playing with, I'm sorry, playing under Carl Tebon. What was it about Loris that kept you in the city of Dubuque? And why did you not have the itch to venture out of the area you grew up in? Um, actually, so my, my first year out of high school, I went to St. Louis university. Um, I didn't play baseball. I stepped away. I was, I was honestly, I came from the Brewers organization where we never lost a game to senior where we hardly won games. Um, and I was just, I was kind of burnt out. I was frustrated with everything. And, um, you know, so took a year, went to St. Louis. Um, I was an engineering student for a year. Um, really I majored in drinking and girls. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, came to a point where that wasn't a, you know, solution for me moving forward. So I've known T-Bon, you know, I know Ryan made the comment that he's been to every T-Bon camp and, you know, he's known him since he was six years old. I've been in the same boat, you know, we were, we were both at all the camps together and, um, so, you know, called up T-Bon and he was gracious enough to, to allow me to, you know, become a member of the team. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. So you took a year off between high school and your time at Loris? I did. I, I didn't know that. And, and I always thought, and maybe this is me just being a baseball guy, that baseball, in my opinion, is probably the most difficult sport to take a year off and to come back and play. It, it was definitely, it was a challenge. Um, you know, I know one of the things Ryan talked about as well was, you know, the changeup and how he developed that over time. And our dads were the same way. They were both like threatening to break our arms if we were throwing breaking balls too early. Um, so, you know, that was one of my main weapons in high school was, you know, attacking with the changeup. And um, I will say that year off, I completely lost my feel for that pitch. Um, so that's probably the the biggest thing that I missed in that year off, but it also gave me a little perspective and a little bit of, um, you know, re-energizing myself to um, really find that passion and love that I have for the game. Jeremy, I love talking to you. You're a great baseball mind. And also you are passing the test of podcasting with flying colors. You are name dropping like crazy, which gives me an opportunity (laughs) to promote past episodes. If you have not, he's talking about Ryan. If you have not listened to the Ryan Doty episode, uh, associate head coach from Wartburg University. He also is in charge of their pitching staff. Listen to that. A lot of good golden nuggets in there. 
Um, I'm, I am a little disappointed in you, in you, Jeremy, though. I, I know you are a guy who looks over your scouting reports. I know you are a guy right now. I see you're in your office. You're working late at 8 o'clock on a, on a Thursday night. I gave you this outline and I gave you this screener probably two months ago. You could not go back through the scrapbooks and figure out if you were first team or second team all conference or all district. Usually people love that question because then the people listening actually know that the person I'm talking to knows their stuff. Well, they're like, they're in a box, like somewhere in the storage room with like all of my other like baseball memorabilia over the years. So um, they're, they're in there somewhere. And I know, I know I got some sort of all conference and all district stuff back in the day, but um, at the time it wasn't, you know, we, we weren't good as a team. So none of those individual awards really felt all that satisfying. Yeah. And people who are listening, I, I tell you, as seeing Jeremy play and, coaching against Jeremy. Jeremy Girardi here is is the real deal. So he is he is a great baseball mind, great athlete, good baseball player. Now, you said you went to St. Louis area after high school. So, I'm guessing that did you really not have the um, opportunity of the recruiting trail where coaches are calling you or reaching out to you and and are giving feelers and did you just decide you didn't want to play baseball and then you missed the love of the game and really you contacted Loris and wanted to go there? Or were there some schools that did have some interest in you? Yeah, you know, I think I think it was a little bit of a combination of everything. You know, I definitely had a few schools that were, were interested in reaching out. Um, you know, one example for, for the younger listeners, um, for instance, is I remember I was throwing at Iowa City West, who is perennially one of the, the better teams in the conference. And um, I had my stuff that day. So I felt good. I was like, you know what, we're, we got a chance to win. I'm on today. And, um, you know, we went out and I think we had like six errors in the first two innings. And I threw an absolute temper tantrum on, on the mound at, at my teammates. And after the game, uh, Division Two school comes up to me and, you know, says, hey, we were, we were here to take a look at you. But after what we saw today, we're not interested in um, and so, you know, that's a very real thing that happens. Um, you know, I was, I was young and immature at the time, but it was a, it was a great learning experience that, um, you know, there's, that's not how you conduct yourself in a, in a winning fashion. Um, and, you know, ultimately something that, you know, made me a better, better player and a better person. But, um, you know, the interest wasn't massive. Um, we weren't very good. So no coaches were like, you know, crawling to get to watch Dubuque senior play back in the day. Um, and, you know, like I said, I was just, I think I was a little bit burnt out on losing and, and not in love with it anymore. And, and so it was just, it was time for me to step away. And um, like I said, it was, it worked out fantastic because it really did reinvigorate my love for the game and, and ultimately, um, you know, was able to get back to Loris and, and contribute there. And Getting discovered back when I played and when you played was completely different to how it is now, and we're going to touch upon that a little later. Now, when you pitched at Iowa City, I always loved this when I coached at Iowa City. Would you throw a pitch and then quick look back at their scoreboard to see what the radar gun had you at, or did they not have the radar gun at the time? No, I, I, I might have walked away from Iowa City West with the sore neck most times when I threw there. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was definitely – I know, um, you know – twice in high school and then a couple more times playing legion ball um in the state tournament and different things like that so that was always you know a thrill as as a guy as a kid is you know the radar guns on and you're you're trying to blow that thing up 
It's interesting that you mentioned Iowa City West always being good with Liberty being there. The the shift has kind of switched to Liberty now being the powerhouse in the area. Now, the Loris baseball community, they are a very tight-knit group. I know I have buddies who played at Loris, swear by Loris. Many often travel many hours back during homecoming to connect with Loris baseball players. What it is about the Loris baseball community and the culture that keep people coming back and they talk so positively about Loris and the Loris baseball program. Yeah, I really think all of it starts with Coach T-Bon. Um, he, he really truly is, you know, when, when young men are in college and they're out on their own for the first time in many instances, he really is their second father. Um, and, and that's the way the, the program feels and operates. And so I think, you know, one of the big draws to come back is, is getting the opportunity to come back and see Coach T-Bon, uh, but then also all of your other, you know, friends who you made lifelong friendships with and, um, you know, you reminisce about the, the stupid things you did when you were, when you were younger. And thank God we didn't have 12 megapixel flip phones and your phone cameras and stuff back then, because um, that would have been horrible for all of us. But um, no, it, it really, it starts with T-Bon and, and the family atmosphere and culture that he creates. Um, and I think from there, it permeates everything else and, and becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for everyone to just want to come back and continue to be a part of that. And we did have a question come in when I posted pictures of you announcing that you would be a guest. So Jay Wannell from Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa, also a sponsor. I think he just submits questions because he wants me to, pl- uh, to, plug, <laughs> to plug the center. But if you haven't listened to his episode yet, go back and check it out. He was the episode before Jeremy. But he wants to know, what is your favorite Coach T-Bond story throughout the years? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's that's so hard because there's so many that are just classic coach T-Bon. Um, you know, I think think back and I mean him and Larry Bird are probably the two best trash talkers that that I've ever heard of. Um, you know, T-Bon talks trash at everything. We could be writing a paper, playing golf, shooting hoops, it doesn't matter. T-Bon's talking trash about it. Um, but I think one of my favorite memories is, uh, T-Bond's always been known as the guy who uh, gets on the umpires a little bit. Um, and, and this one day, um, you know, this umpire, you could tell he just wasn't having what, uh, what T-Bond was, was offering. And the umpire walks over into our dugout and, and starts to have a conversation with T-Bond. And all I can hear T-Bond say from the end of the dugout is, you're going to come into my dugout, my dugout. And all our whole dugout, like we have to turn around and go to the corner because we're trying not to laugh and make the situation any worse than it was. Uh, but so just some of his interactions with, uh, with umpires and, and talking smack and all that over the years um, is, is anyone that knows T-Bond, that's just, that's who he is. Um, but um, in, in all seriousness, I love Carl T-Bond. Um, and you know, there's, there's so many good stories, um, with him that, um, you know, we could, we could go on for, for days laughing about it. Um, but you know, T-Bond's, T-Bond's like my second dad. So I care a lot about him. And he, I'm going to reach out to him cause we're going to, we're going to start to cover college a little bit more. And I'd like to have him highlight his program, highlight what's going on and, and, um, talk about some of the debut kids that have come through Loris and and will continue to play at Loris and and he's a staple every high school game you go to you're always going to see coach T-Bon there so coach T-Bon hopefully uh you uh, are interested in doing that I'm sure people would love to hear from you now 
had a lot of college kids on here and they always talk about road trips and how road trips are just epic and um, probably almost sometimes more fun than playing the actual game. Unfortunately, this is a PG show and I've, I've heard some amazing stories off camera about uh, some road trip stories, but if you could come up with your most epic, memorable, funniest road trip story that stands out that you and your teammates still still talk about today or one of those too good to be true stories, what would, what would it be? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, some of them are definitely uh, are not uh, not eligible for podcast uh, discussions, um, but uh, no, I think uh, some of them go back to you know the Florida trip, um, some of the stuff that goes on down there, um, you know, the long hauls to, to Buena Vista and and, and all of that. Um, really, a lot of it is you know the two a.m. euchre games that are going on in the hotel rooms and. Um, you know, getting yelled at by the coaches because we're yelling and screaming because we won 50 cents off of somebody on their meal money. Um, you know, that's the stuff that, that I'll just, um, you know, remember and absolutely love about the road trips and, and things like that were, were the times we got to spend in um, the Harper and we got to cause the coaches while we did it. Now, Loris, they had a stretch there where they were extremely successful and at the top of the conference. How was Loris when you were there? And if you can think back to some of the teammates that you had from the Dubuque area, who would they have been? Yeah, you know, we were, um, I, I would never say we were like, you know, a top team in the conference, but I felt like, I mean, week in and week out, we competed with everybody. We were, you know, typically, you know, four or five in the conference, middle of the road, but, um, you know, a lot of those games were, were really close and, and could have gone either way, depending on some different things happening. So um, felt like we were always competitive in, in that regard. Um, but there was there was some really, really good teams, whether it was Doty and Warburg and, and all those guys. Uh, BV had a stellar run for a couple of years with some absolute horses on the mound. Um, you know, so it was it was a tough conference. Um, but looking back at like the Dubuque area guys, you know, I think of like a Cole Bogey. Um, he was a couple years older than me. Uh, ben Cottrell, um, Jordan Reese is from the Bellevue area. Um, he was he was a big player for us. Uh, Eric DeSouza from Dyersville was another guy from the from the area who was uh, you know a major contributor for us. Um, those are just a few of the guys um, locally that come to mind off the top of my head. Now, would uh, BJ Jurgens have been there too? Oh yeah, BJ too. Yeah, completely forgot about BJ. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I still think that guy could, that guy could probably step into the batter's box right now and and, and take many people deep. He was just such <laughs> such a natural natural hitter. Now I the lefties have such an unfair advantage. I was always like I'm always like so jealous that I didn't just like develop and figure out how to swing and throw lefty because I would have looked so much cooler doing. It. Yeah, I know, and you get down the line so much quicker as well. I do want to talk about your career in college. In 2013, you made the all-regional team as a closer. In 130 innings, you had 99 strikeouts and recorded 15 saves. In high school, you were a starting pitcher. When did you make the transition to closer? Um. So, yeah, so my first year at Loris, I was, I was still a starter. 
Um, and then my second year, our starting second baseman uh, went down with an ACL injury during football season. Um, and so I, I moved to a little bit of like a dual hybrid role. Um, and we were really strong on the mound at that time. We had a lot of, of really good arms. Um, and so as I made that can transition a little bit to, to try to be a dual guy, uh, it just made sense to slot me in as more of a, a back-end um, reliever type role. And, um, you know, eventually over time, the, the playing position didn't work out because anyone that watched me play knows that hitting was by far my, my biggest liability as a baseball player. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just kind of stayed in that role because that was what our team needed at that time. You know, we had lots of, of guys who were very capable and, and very good starters. Um, and we, we kind of had some inconsistencies on the back end. And so um, that was just, you know, me trying to fill a void that the team needed. What did you like better? Did you like being a starter or a, a reliever better? Yeah, so at first I definitely was like, oh, this stinks. I don't like closing. But as, as time went on, I absolutely love closing. Um, you know, the ability to not only worry about throwing once a week, it's like I could be coming in at any game at any time. Um, you know, that, that you know, keeping your endorphins running at, at full speed all game long and staying engaged and involved knowing that, hey, all it takes is, is T-Bon or Coach Schwellick looking down and saying, Girardi, go get loose. And, and all of a sudden, I need to be ready to go for the guys. So, um, you know, from that perspective, I think it was uh, closing ended up becoming something that I, I loved more than starting. How did your mindset change with the different roles you were in? What was your mindset like as a starter? What was your mindset like when you transitioned into closing? You know, I think that's like part of the reason it was is, is it an easier transition for me is like, quite frankly, like my goal every time I step on the rubber is that I'm going to strike out whoever I'm facing. Um, and that led to very high pitch counts as a starter. And as a, as a reliever, I can get away with that a little, little bit more. Um, so so my mindset didn't change a whole lot. It just uh, it was a little bit more of a better fit to, to where my mind had always been at. After a successful playing career at Senior and Loris, you went into the coaching realm. You were the pitching coach at Wallert Catholic High School and Loris College. Who were some of the coaches that you coached with while you were on both of those staffs? Yeah, so, um, you know, at, at Loris, it was Coach T-Bon, Coach Wellick, um, Coach Tish was there for the infielders when I was there. Um, Coach Waddle, who's uh, at Illinois College now, was with us for a couple years. Um, and then over at Wallard, it was really Coach Rowling and Coach Tish. Um, and then my first year ever coaching was with Coach Bogey. Um, I was his assistant at the sophomore level. Um, and so that's, those are really the, the main guys that, you know, I grew up around as coaches, as far as, you know, the college and high school, um, coaching circuit was concerned. I always love coaching against Cole Bogey. He was my assistant coach one year and then I left to go to Hempstead and then he took my job and it seemed like we kind of worked our way up the ranks together. We were freshman coaches together and then against each other, sophomore coaches against each other. Then we both were on the varsity staffs. It's a lot of fun. I always enjoyed beating him and he very rarely beat me if you're listening to this, Cole. Now, <laughs> I, I do want to talk about this because you learn from the coaches that you played for and that you coach with. You coached with many outstanding coaches in the area and also a nationally recognized coach in Jerry Rowling. What did you learn from Coach Tischer, Coach Rowling, and also Coach T-Bon that helped you as a pitching coach? And what did they also help you about life in general? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the one coach, um, you know, who had the biggest impact on me as, as a person and as a baseball player was Coach Wellick. He was my pitching coach when I was at Loris. Um, you know, he went and coached in the Cape Cod League in the in the summers, so he was around. You know, Sean Manaya and all those guys that are, are big leaguers and absolute studs. Um, and you know, I was in college starting out. I was super immature. You know, I was I was more concerned about being cool um, than I was about, you know, being a winner and doing the right things. And, um, you know, Coach Wellick really was, um, you know, a mentor for me and someone who really helped guide me and get me on on a path of, um, you know, becoming a better person as well as becoming a better player and, um, you know, more importantly, the, the person part. Um, but, you know, looking back, T-Bond, for instance, you know, he's he's just so authentic and he is himself constantly and I think, you know, if, if you're going to be a coach and you want to connect with kids and, and really develop a relationship with them, which to me is the ultimate goal, is being authentic is the first piece of it. Everyone can sniff out right away if you're if you're being fake or being phony. Um, and so, you know, learning from T-Bond to, to really be comfortable in your own skin and be authentic was was a, a major takeaway for me. Um, you know, for for Jerry Rowling, it was the, the fundamentals and the focus on, on the finer points of, um, you know, winning and losing games isn't a swing of the bat. It's, it's the little fundamentals. It's being in the right place. It's, you know, running in an effective cutoff and, and things like that, that ultimately can make the difference in, in a game. Um, and then, you know, from, from coach Tish, it's been everything under the sun. We, we talk baseball, um, you know, all sorts of different things. And one of the things that I, I love about coach Tish is, is how willing and eager he is to constantly be learning um, and finding more and more ways in which he can be valuable um, and, you know, someone for, for these kids to ultimately, um, you know, look up to and, and set that good example for them. And so I think from, from that perspective, I couldn't have been more lucky to have the coaches that I had uh, to really develop and, and learn things in, in a way that, um, you know, not everyone gets the ability to. You know, you mentioned a lot of great coaches there. I, I've never met Dan Wellick, but I used to work with his wife, Tracy, at Roosevelt. And wow, she's a she's a great lady. And Coach Rowling, it's funny. I, you talk to people that played for him that went on to play professionally, and they say that the things that he was doing at their high school practice, they're doing at the professional level. And, you know, even Riley McCarron, when I had him on, said things that – Bill Belichick was doing in New England, he was doing with, with Coach uh, Rowling at Wallard. So different sports, different levels, but you just see the great coaches are so focused on the fundamentals. And you are right about Coach Tischer and always wanting to learn. I know when I interviewed him for his season preview, just the amount of time he puts in scouting players that he's going to play um, all over the state was phenomenal. And then just the amount of uh, camps he goes to, virtual stuff he's been doing. He's always learning, always wanting to get better. Now, Jeremy, I don't I don't know if you experienced this, but when the senior varsity job opened a couple of years ago, uh, my phone was buzzing off the hook and a lot of people were wondering if, if I was going to go for it, if I was going to apply for it. I've always wondered this about you. You were a prep star at senior, one of the better players to ever come through their program. You coached at Wallert. Why did you not coach at senior? And when they had that open varsity position, did you put in for it? And if not, did you think about putting your name in for it? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, before I started coaching at Wallard, I had actually interviewed at senior for the exact same position, the assistant sophomore job. Um, and, you know, sat there with uh, Jarko, the athletic director at the time. And he basically told me that, you know, we think you're too young. Um, you know, I want to get someone in here who's a little bit older, a little more experienced. And, um, you know, selfishly, you know, as someone who set records at, at senior and, um, you know, did some did some big things for him, I was pretty pissed off. Um, and, you know, I already had a good relationship with Tish and next thing I know, they offered me an opportunity at Wallert to, um, you know, coach with coach Bogey my first year and, and I jumped at it and, you know, the rest was kind of history from there. Um, it, it ended up being the best thing that happened because I learned so much more as a result of getting to coach with coach Bogey and coach rolling and coach Tish than I would have ever learned at its senior. Um, and you know, it's, it just became something where I was, I was very, very happy with, with my role and where I was at at Wallert. And there was never really any desire on my part to put in for a head coaching position at senior and, and be involved in it with, at that level. Um, you know, as a, as a business person, I just, I don't have the time to devote to being a head coach that, um, you know, quite frankly, I would, I would want to be like a, a coach Tisher putting in all sorts of hours to, um, you know, scout kids and, and make it feel, make myself feel like I'm giving my, my kids the best chance to go out and win. Um, and I'm preparing them appropriately. And, and that just doesn't jive with, with me continuing to, you know, move forward in my, my business career. Um, so, you know, it, it never was anything for me where I wanted, uh, to be a part of that. I, I will say this about the Holy Family system is I got my start coaching middle school because, I my contract at Lincoln Elementary went until like three thirty. Well, middle schoolers get out of school at two thirty, and Mazzucchelli called me, asked me if I could coach. I told him the situation, and they said, "Oh, well, we'll just give you a team, and we'll give you the late practice every day." And they were always so willing. And even when I was at Wallert um, coaching baseball there, and then at Mazzucchelli, I coached basketball and I coached football. They were always so great about working around my schedule. And, and that, that was huge to me. And when I transitioned from Wallert to Hempstead, even though I was an alumni of Hempstead, that, that was a difficult transition to make because of the people I was leaving. I was leaving Coach Roll. I was leaving Coach Tischer. Uh, uh, Coach Bogey, student taught for me. You said you learned great things from him. Well, everything he learned, he learned from me. So, um, <laughs> so um, it, it was it was a very difficult difficult decision. So I, I get where you're coming from in in that transition to not go to senior because that community at Wallard is just is just such a good community. A lot of good people there. Now. I want you to think about your times as a high school player, a college player, a high school coach, and a college coach. And I want you to pull some of your top memories from each situation. So what would be your top memory as a high school player? I'm guessing it didn't happen in Iowa City. No, 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 it did, definitely did not happen in Iowa City. Um, you know, I think, honestly, my, my top memories as a high school player had nothing to do with, with high school baseball. It was um, playing on a Legion team and winning the, the state tournament two years in a row. Um, you know, as a, as a junior going up to Minot, North Dakota with Colin Ray and, and a bunch of those guys and, um, you know, being a win away from 
going to, to nationals. And then the year after that, going up to Minnesota with, with Dote and Redmond and all those guys and, and going up and competing. Um, you know, those were, those were my favorite baseball memories from high school. Um, you know, looking back at college, there's, there's two memories that stand out to me from my time playing in college. Um, the first is we were at the, the conference tournament. I was warming up, getting ready to go in. It was a tie game at the time. And I was currently tied with, I forget who it was for the, the saves record at Lawrence. And, um, this is senior year. Um, and my best friends up to, up at the plate runner on runner on third, two outs. And he, and he's just in a battle. And, and I'm kind of pissed because I'm, I'm burning bullets in the bullpen. I'm like, let's, let's either let's get a hit or let's get out. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to come into this game. Um, but so my best friend, Nico gets, uh, gets a hit, drives in the, the go ahead run. And, uh, I come in, get the save and I, I set the, the school record. Um, and, and it was really more that, you know, it was my best friend who, who gave me that opportunity that was, was super cool to me. Um, and then the other, the other moment happened, you know, two, two games later, we're at uh, the conference tournament at the the stadium, and um, my my good buddy Daryl was uh, was a senior with us. Didn't play a whole lot. We're you know beating Simpson pretty bad at that point, and we have bases loaded. He comes up to the plate, and you know we're all going crazy in the dugout. He takes a big old swing, follows it straight back, and we're like, "Oh, he's going for it! He's going for it!" And uh, you know, two pitches later, he sends one out of the stadium to left field, like not like in the state, like out of the stadium, the left field, uh, walk off run rule victory. And that was, um, you know, that's probably my singular most favorite memory was seeing him run the bases and us getting to, to kind of, you know, jump around at home plate and celebrate that. And that's quite a poke that says Cedar Rapids veteran Memorial stadium. So he probably hit it over the tall fence and left field over the hot tub seat there as well. Huh? Yep. Yep, that's that's exactly where it went out at, and it was uh, yeah, that was that was thrilling. Um, you know, as far as being a coach at, at Loris, I was I was lucky enough to coach Tyler Tamaka um, along with a number of other really really good pitchers there, um, and, and Tyler broke my saves record um, while while he was there. Um, so you know, to be a, a part of that and to be able to be someone who was was hopefully helpful in in, in him being able to achieve that was was really neat for me. Um, and then, you know, at, at Waller, it's been, you know, tr- the trips to state, um, you know, and, and all of those have been tremendous experiences and, um, you know, other than that, maybe going to the coaches clinic with Tish once in Des Moines was, uh, was a good time. You know, if you haven't listened to the Colin Ray episode, uh, Jeremy just talked about him there. Go back and check it out. And Tyler, who broke your saves record, I believe he's pitching overseas. He just followed me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Give me a follow. And then you also, who else did you name drop there? Oh, I can't remember, but lots lots of good stories um, and lots of great memories. That that must have been quite a poke. I, I can just visualize you telling that story at, at Veterans Memorial Stadium. I, actually, I'm sorry, I think it's called Perfect Game Field now with the sponsorships and everything. Now, Jeremy, you have your background in coaching with pitching, and we've had a lot of guys on the pitching aspect of it. So we do have youngsters that listen to the podcast around the community. If you had to break down what you feel are the three to five most important keys about pitching that you would tell your pitchers at Waller, what do you think they are? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, it's intent. Um, it's, it's really clearly defining like what, what, what is our intent? Um, you know, whether that's coming to practice on a given day, whether that's executing a pitch, whether that's, you know, doing anything, it's, it's what's our intent and let's, let's get committed to that. Um, number two, for me, pitching, it's all about athleticism. Um, you know, we're, we're not robots. We're not all structured to, to move and, and do things in the same exact way. Um, so let's be individual and let's be athletic about it. Um, and you know, the, the last piece to me is, is really the, the commitment to, um, being yourself and in trying to be the best version of that, that you can be, whether that's on the mound in the classroom, whatever it is. I mean, those three things to me are, um, things that number one, everybody can do. Um, and all of those end up promoting what I believe is, is the best version of, of who we are, whether that's on the mound or, or somewhere else. So you're talking about pitchers need to be athletic. So you don't want any Bartolo Colones on the mound on your staff, huh? I, I mean, I, I would I would argue he is a good athlete. Um, you know, if, if if you see Big Sexy run around the bases and uh, field his position, you know, he uh, he doesn't look completely useless out there. You know, he looked good back in the day when he was slimmer. You know, he was he was athletic looking before he uh, before he put on the uh, the dad bod. He did. One of my friends uh, played with him. Uh, at, with the angels and, and said that he was, he was a very quiet guy. He would pretty much just show up, eat, pitch and leave and not, not really uh, talk to anybody, but he did say he was extremely flexible and, and an incredible athlete. Jeremy, Recently, the game of baseball in Dubuque, the Wallert community and the Loris community had a devastating blow delivered to them. You decided to hang it up and call it quits for your coaching career. <laughs> Jeremy's laughing on the other side because he thought we were going to talk about a death in the community or something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what led to your decision to, to hang it up and, and not coach anymore? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things, you know, and, and I said it earlier is, you know, that I, I talk a lot about with, with my pitchers and, and with our players was, was commitment. And, um, you, you know, what, what are you willing to sacrifice and do um, for the benefit of yourself, the benefit of your team? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a position now professionally where um, I, I work a lot of hours and um, I travel a lot when, COVID's not happening. Um, and it just wasn't a situation where I could commit at the level that I expected myself to. Um, and, and it felt like, you know, if I'm going to sit here and, and pontificate to kids about being committed and doing these things, and I'm not, um, that, that's really fake and phony. And, and that's not something that, that I want to, um, you know, be a part of for myself. So that was, that was really the, the main piece of it was um, just not having the, the time that I'm able to commit to it that I, I really feel like I need to be able to. Jeremy, the game's going to miss you, miss you. The community's going to miss you, but I'm sure just like me, we'll still probably attend games whenever we're uh, able to attend games, but they, they, they will miss you a lot more than when, than they ever missed me. Now, I, I do want to talk about this because this is interesting. There were, there was a, fr I believe it was a Friday night my phone was was blowing up like crazy. And actually at work today, um, Jesse Freiberger asked me, he goes, 
um, hey, um, who are you going to have on the podcast coming up? And I shared with him that I was going to have Jeremy Girardi on, and he shared with me that he had coached you. He goes, hey, did you see that back and forth him and Stephen Mahler had on Twitter? And I do want to talk to you about this, and I do want to preface this by saying we did invite Stephen on to join us. And we asked uh, Stephen if he would like to take part in this discussion, and and he respectfully declined. But I do want to get your input on this, because this is such a hot take button, especially in Dubuque, especially in Iowa, where we are the only state out of 40, out of 50 states that play um, high school baseball in the summer. So recently, um, Stephen was commenting on a tweet from a perfect game showcase where Tommy Speck was turning heads. Steven said, and I quote, another kid that should skip high school ball and concentrate on elite travel ball. What is he getting out of playing high school baseball in Iowa? Close quote. So I want to ask you, you were on a member of the staff that Tommy Speck played on. So people in the community want to hear this answer from you and other coaches as well. What did Tommy get from playing high school baseball at Wallert instead of playing travel baseball and not playing in the Mississippi Valley Conference? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, Every kid is unique and, um, you know, what, what their path should or shouldn't be is, is, is all, is all different. Um, but as far as, you know, what, what we do at, at Wallert or what we, what we did at Wallert and the rest of them continue to do since I'm no longer there, um, you know, it's, it's really around developing the kids as, as baseball players, but more importantly as people and how do we, um, you know, give them routines and, and ways in which that we can be committed and successful to, to what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I would argue it doesn't matter where you're at, um, travel ball, high school, in their garage, um, you can always be getting better. Um, and, and I think what, what we provide is, um, you know, an avenue and a, a way for, for kids to compete against each other, um, for them to become friends and, and develop those, those lifelong relationships that uh, are going to stand the test of time that, you know, baseball is not going to, you're not always going to be able to put on the cleats and run out onto the field. Um, but what you can do is you can call up your high school buddies and, and reminisce about all those good times you had. And you can, um, you know, count on them to, to have your back when things may not be going well. Um, and so I think that, you know, what, what the high school experience in sports provides is something so much more holistic for kids than quite simply just an avenue for sports. Um, and I feel like that's really where, um, you know, we get lost in the sauce sometimes with being so concerned about what someone's ranking is or what their pop time or 40 or whatever it is, is, and not as committed to, are they getting better as people? Um, you know, are, are they happy with, with, um, know themselves and what's going on. And um, I feel like what, what we do at Wallert and, and what a lot of programs in the area do um, is really more committed to to the kids as human beings and, and developing them in that manner. Now, the thread went on for a while. And if, if you go and you can find it on Twitter on either, either Stephen or uh, Jeremy's page, but I, I had a lot of people text me about it. I almost 
uh, comment it with the Michael Jackson eating popcorn emoji, but I just kind of wanted to say out of it because I, I like you, I like Stephen, I like Ian, I like I like everybody involved. But Stephen later went on to say, and I quote. What do you and your staff provide for guys that have talent like a guy like Tommy? Did you do anything to help him get any offers? So what 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 with a outstanding prospect like Tommy, what what did you guys specifically, you know, do for him because he's at a level higher than than his teammates? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Tommy's definitely a, a unique kid, uh, very, very talented, um, you know, awesome kid, comes from a great family. Um, you know, personally, myself, I didn't do anything. That's not my role. Um, you know, I know Coach Tischer talks to all sorts of college coaches for a lots of our guys, regardless of, you know, Division One, Division Three. it doesn't matter. It's, it's really trying to figure out, do they have interest in playing baseball at the next level? And then, um, you know, what is what does that next level look like based on their talent level um you know i know coach tish has had lots of conversations with coaches um you know as it relates to our players and um you know i also think that's an area where um probably not the time or place for us to to get into tommy's personal life in, in terms of you know what we are and aren't doing for that kid um you know these decisions in and of themselves for kids are, are incredibly stressful there's there's lots of factors that go into them um, and I would just say that I think, you know, Coach Tish does an incredible job um, talking to coaches, figuring out, um, you know, what, what makes sense for kids and, and ultimately presenting them options that are um, in their best interest in what we believe. I know uh, Coach Tischer has done that for his players for years. I also have heard stories about him playing against kids and sending information out about kids that aren't even on his team saying, hey, we played against this guy. He's an absolute stud. Um, or, hey, there's this guy in Dubuque here. He doesn't play for me, but he's just tearing it up. You, you've you got to come and, and take a look at him. So I think that shows a testament to the type of guy he is. Now, just your opinion. What do you think is the best path, and, and is there only one path? Yeah, I don't think there is a best path in, in a black and white sense. I think there there is for each kid. Uh, but I think that path looks different for everybody, um, you know, and, and I don't think it's as black and white as saying it's it's this or it's that. I, I don't, you know, to me, it, it doesn't make sense why someone can't be, you know, a, a member of their high school team and still get the opportunity to go out and, and do showcase events and, and different things that, you know, are, are self-promoting and, and gets their name out there and gets them opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have gotten um, playing high school. But I, I just think that, you know, for, for every, you know, kid and family out there that, that's looking to make it to the next level, just because you go travel doesn't mean that you're, you're going to get more opportunities than, you know, you would if you played state and played high school and vice versa. Um, they're, they're, it's, it's not all or nothing, one or the other. We live in a digital age. If you're that concerned with, with getting out there and, and getting seen, start putting videos on, on Twitter. I mean, I see flat ground bats, flat ground app. I mean, I see guys from, you know, Africa throwing baseballs. And I see guys from, um, you know, the inner city Bronx swinging the bat. And so there's so many ways in which you can, can self-promote and get your name out there and, and get in front of college coaches that, you know, you don't need to spend exorbitant sums of money to travel and do all these things. You can do it in an economical way um, and in a way that still allows you to, to continue to, to be a part of a high school organization. I would agree that there's 
every kid's different. Every path is different. When I coached out at Western Dubuque, Casey Bryant always told parents, I'm not here to kill anybody's dream. So if I have you for two weeks and or if I have you for the season and you need to go two weeks to go to a football camp because you want to play football in college, I'm going to let you do that. We're going to plug somebody else in. We're going to play. But once you commit, then I have you. So your senior year, you're going to play with me the whole year because you're going to commit. And um, and that worked out really well for him. And I know that worked out really well for Calvin Harris because he got he got the best of both worlds. He got to travel. He got to be seen. He got to play with his high school buddies. And, and, and I think everybody's different, every situation's different, every family decision's different, everybody's financial uh, situation is different, and it really just comes down to the decision between the family. And then sometimes the high school coach can either nix it and say, no, pick one or the other, or, the, or they can go along with it. I know Marion, they had all those kids that traveled and played perfect game, and they didn't have a really good regular season record. But come tournament time, they had all those guys there and and made it to the state tournament. Jeremy, were a couple questions. Yeah, um, you know, I, I would say one other piece to that. Um, you know, and I know um, Stephen may not feel this way, but I really do truly have the utmost respect for you know what what him and, and Ian and their family have been able to accomplish. And um, you know, just want to say that I wish nothing but the absolute best for Ian. Um, as he, you know, progresses on and um, hopefully someday we're, we're watching him on TV playing in big league stadiums. I, I agree with that. And every single person um, that I talk to about him, the community, we're pulling for him. I mean, how cool would that be to have a kid from Dubuque, Iowa, uh, playing in the majors, uh, being a top draft pick? I mean, we we root for Colin Ray from the Cascade area. I mean, people flock to local restaurants and bars and to stadiums to watch him pitch. And I think the bigger spotlight we have on the community is is a great one. So, Ian, we're wishing you the best of luck. And a couple questions before we hit into that podcast ending double play, Jeremy. You're a successful man <coughs> in the business world in the Dubuque area. How did baseball help you be successful in the business life? Yeah, so, you know, I think baseball has been largely the, the biggest thing um, that, that's helped me. Um, you know, I played all sorts of sports, but baseball was my main one. And, you know, some of the lessons you learn along the way playing baseball are, are those that are, are such great lifelong lessons. Um, you know, the, the fear of failure that the people inherently have that baseball causes you to, to confront on a regular basis, far more often than most of us uh, like to admit, um, you know, and being, you know, fearless in that regard is, is something that's been very helpful for me, you know, being a sales guy, you hear no, um, but it's, it's being, you know, unafraid to, to hear that next one. Um, and I think, you know, the, the rest of it is, is really around, um, you know, the discipline that it takes to to be a good baseball player and um, to do things the right way. There's so much going on. You know, you're, you're constantly thinking when you're playing the game. And and I think all of those skills that, that baseball fosters and helps you develop ultimately, you know, create something that um, allows for, for people to, to achieve things that maybe they weren't necessarily thinking they could achieve at, at some point earlier in their lives. Jeremy? Anything you want to promote, anything you want to plug, anybody you want to thank before we hit into that podcast ending double play? 
Um, you know, r- really for me, the, the biggest um, people that I want to thank are probably my parents. Um, you know, they were at every single game that I ever had growing up. Um, you know, dad wasn't always necessarily the, um, the nicest guy to, to be around if I didn't play well. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, they, they really fostered it and helped, um, you know, me develop and become the person I am today. And, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere near, um, the person or as successful as I am today without the, the love and support that they've shown me continuously for, for my entire life. So, um, you know, just, just my parents and, and everybody else that I've been lucky enough to, to cross path with on the baseball field or, or elsewhere. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, you don't realize how, how lucky you are to know as many people and to, to develop these relationships until, um, you know, you're, you're out in the working world and you realize how important relationships really truly are. Um, and, and so from, from that perspective, just, just thanks to everyone in that regard. Jeremy Girardi, thank you for joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, 643. We're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.